Good to see each of you and at home. So glad you jumped online today. And it is the church gathered and the church scattered. And what a great word from our pastor John because really our ministry is out where we are in all of our communities as well as around the country. You're coming in and you're watching this. So uh, that's a great encouragement. In fact, church history tells us that the early church, when they were scattered through, for them, persecution, the church took off. Janine and I are hearing from places in China, especially Wuhan, that actually the church is in revival like never before. So uh, what he is saying, what John is saying is absolutely true. But I'm so glad you're here online today, and I believe that God has something very special for us in our time together. In fact, I'd say I want you to hang in there to the end of this, because there are some things at the end of this that I've never really shared or seen in the way I've seen it now, and I want to believe that he had something for you in this as well. So we're in this series, Did God Really Say That? And I don't know about you, but I can't think of a time where that series is more helpful to us than in a time where we're seeing across the country so many cross-currences of challenges and emotions. Did God really say that? We're going to dig into that this morning. And the phrase is the quintessential, God helps them who help themselves. God helps them who help themselves. So when you think of last week and you think of the week ahead, you wonder to yourself, yeah, that kind of has a nice ring to it. That's got to be a, something that he said. But in actuality, it's not found in the Bible. And more importantly, it really touches on the character of God. It's not just a statement hanging out there. It touches and tries to define the character of God for us. And I believe we're going to unpack this morning in our time remaining a view of God that is really very different and will show that that phrase is absolutely inconsistent. Well, God helps them who help themselves. Where did that come from? Well, one of the earliest records of that is Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin wrote Poor Richard's Almanac. And there in Poor Richard's Almanac in the 18th century is this phrase. But actually, he didn't come up with it. Somebody about 100 years earlier came up with it, and this individual quoted it and took it right out of another source and put it out there in England. God helps them who helps themselves. That guy, however, didn't have a long life because he was tried for treason and executed. So it didn't work as well for him. But where did it come from? Before that, surprisingly enough, it came from about 400 B.C. in Greece, and it had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with Hercules. And it was a story about Hercules and the Wagoneer, not the Jeep Wagoneer that's a famous car, but the Wagoneer, a stuck wheel on the side of the road. And what happened was an individual who owned the wagon got down and he asked Hercules to come and help him out. And it says that Hercules came and helped him out. But this is what Hercules said. Stop praying. 
Stop whining. Get your shoulder to that wheel and you do it yourself. And then Hercules will come and help you. So what we have is a phrase that wound up among believers that really came from Greek mythology that really had to do with the plural gods, not a god. And the act of Hercules was, whatever you do, stop praying. Now, as believers, that's where that phrase really originated. Somehow it slipped into our culture. It slipped into poor Richard's almanac. It slipped into, I've seen it in German from the 18th and 19th century. It kind of just hangs out there and floats. But what does it really mean? It's really, I believe, an attack on the character of God. Because when you and I start to pray, does our God honestly call us to stop praying, to man or woman up, to get our shoulder to the wheel, push it out ourselves, and maybe he'll decide to help us or not? It's a matter of really who's initiating. And so when we look at this, it's not just a phrase out there. It's what it tries to tell us about the character of God. In last week's message, John was talking about deism and theism. Deism being that the world just kind of got set up by God and he took it and started out there and he took off to somewhere just to sit and watch it. So that's a very deistic statement. But what we find is God never says that kind of thing. Let me give you, let me unpack for you a few of the phrases, a few of the things that he said, a few of the things that actually were written at the same time as Aesop's fables, but come from a different source, source is God. And so we read in Psalm 46.1, and what it's really talking about is this word help. We need help. This week we needed help. We need help for this coming week. And so the topic of this is about help and how does God join us in that partnership of what we can expect. And, and this is what we read. In Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and ever-present help in times of trouble. And we are in a time of trouble. And what we find is, not a God Hercules, who calls people to stop praying and whining, but rather a God who says, I am with you. I am so present with you in the midst of whatever trouble that you have, and in that trouble, you can expect me to be there. Jesus kind of said it this way, fascinating thing. He said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, because I, meaning Jesus, have overcome the world. And it's an interesting phrase, this, this word for tribulation or trouble. Because in the original language, it can come from two sources. One source is outward pressure. And the other source is inward pressure. Take a guess which one Jesus is talking about. I was surprised. He doesn't say in the world you're going to have outward pressure. That's kind of a given. 
But that word is actually in the world, you're going to have inside you enough confusion and challenge, enough times that you wish you could just give up, that that pressure is the pressure that I'm talking about today. In this world, you're going to have stuff that makes your stomach turn, makes it go upside down, makes you cry out. But don't worry, because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. He says he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. I have a friend, his name's Kevin, he's a fireman. He was a fireman, he's now an Alliance pastor. And as a lieutenant in some of the places that he worked with, in place of more urban New York, one day a fire was in a tenement. And in that tenement, as a lieutenant, his name was Lou, that's what they called him. His last name was, they called him Gil. And in there, he went up into that tenement, and he didn't hear the captain say, everybody out. Everybody out, let the building go. Because Lou had heard a man on the third floor. And he knew somebody was up there. And so with his oxygen mask and his tank and 60 pounds of equipment wet, he went up and he found in the smoke this older man, put him over his shoulder. The man couldn't breathe. He took his helmet off. He took his mask off. He put it on this guy, which he should never be doing. And then by that time, the entire place was filled with smoke. And he remembered four steps to the right, eight steps to the left, and then the stairs are there. He took those numbers, and he wound up in the back of a closet, and he knew, I am a dead man. And so is the guy over my shoulder. When you hear flames, they're really loud. When you can't see and you can't hear anything... You know you're finished. An ever-present help in trouble. And he says to me this, David, at that moment, I heard my name. I heard my name. I heard Kevin. Nobody in the fire department called me Kevin. They called me Lou for lieutenant, or they called me Gil. But I heard my name in the smoke and in the midst of my mask. And I heard someone calling me, but nobody was there. And in the sound of the roar of fires, you couldn't hear anybody if they yelled at you. But he knew from training that he followed the voice. And then the voice went another direction. And he followed the voice with his man over his shoulder. And he found the stairs. And he ran down those stairs. And the first thing he found is Buddy. There's a buddy system in that. And he said, were you in the building? And he said, no, I wasn't in the building. Nobody was in the building. Kevin at that moment knew that God was an ever-present help and called his name in the midst of a fire. He's the Alliance pastor today of a very large church in New York. An ever-present help in times of trouble. In Psalm 120, we read this. In my distress, and we have distress, This week may have been filled with distress. This morning you may feel it. You turn on media, it's everywhere. But as John said, this is our mission, to have answers in a world that seems to be upside down. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. He doesn't treat us like Hercules. He actually called us to talk and to pray with him. He called us in the midst of trouble, He told us that there would be inside pressure that would make our stomach turn trying to get through this life. 
and he answered me. Distress happens to us. And the call of God upon us, instead of a world that says God helps them who helps themselves, is more in tune with this. God helps the helpless and brings them what they need. In Isaiah 41, in verse 13, such a powerful verse, as we unpack the nature of God, we read this. For I am the Lord, for I am the Lord, that takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Such a different attitude than Hercules, written by Babias about 100 AD, because they didn't have fragments that went any further back in Greek, just little fragments of Aesop's tables and things like that. But here we find, I, the Lord, will take your right hand and say to you, do not fear, I will help you. I had a friend, Janine knows this friend, my wife, and this friend played football at a large team somewhere in the United States, and in talking to him one day, he told us a story that when he was 13 years of age, he began to stroke. And that doesn't mean that he's doing crew. He began to stroke. In other words, little bits of debris from somewhere in his system started breaking off as a 13-year-old boy and causing him to stroke. Time after time after time. I can't imagine what he was going through, what his parents were going through. Now he's a 19-year-old on a team that's a strong team in the United States playing football. But he told us a story that I will never forget. You see, he is the Lord who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Can you imagine being a 13-year-old girl, a 13-year-old boy in the midst of an operating place, the room, you're there by yourself waiting for the team to come in and then to put you under anesthetic? And there he lay with his eyes closed. And he said to us, to Janine and to me, he said, somebody walked in that room and held my right hand. And he said, David, I was so happy that a nurse was holding my right hand. Something, no doubt, had put on her heart to walk in and know that I was so afraid. And so he opened his eyes to thank that nurse. But there was no nurse. But he knows someone had literally held his hand. Not surprising when God says, I'll take hold of your right hand and say to you, do not fear, I will help you. Again, as we look at this phrase, this phrase that didn't come out anywhere from the heart of God, but from a community and a culture that was creating superhuman beings and calling them deities. In Psalm 127, we read this. Unless the Lord builds the house, its laborers build in vain. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. And so there's something here about building and there's something here about guarding. 
And what God says is, if we build it without him, it doesn't go very far. And if we can stay up all night trying to guard it ourselves, but without him, it's absolutely meaningless. But what he's telling his followers is that what he builds, builds for good. And whatever he builds, he guards. And so he builds your life, and he builds my life. And when he's building our lives, he also is guarding our lives. So at this moment, when we have such concern and fear, wondering what is going to happen about our world, remember this is the God who can whisper a person's name. We're not deists. We're not evangelical deists that believe that God is out there and he's here. He says, Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. So here is an officer of a fire department hearing the voice of God that literally saved his life and allowed him now to pastor one of our large churches. Or a young man, 13, in the midst of a physical problem that could have ended his life and definitely his football career and something, someone is holding his hand. But then this idea of your house being built and your house being guarded. You know, in the Middle East, it's a very different concept than for us. When people from the Middle East hear the, about a house, they think of their father, they think of their mother, they think of their family, they think of their heritage, they think of everything that they are as human beings and all of that that makes whoever they are who they are. That's what a house refers to. And so when the word here, the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, they know they're not talking about the 7-Eleven down there in Damascus. They're talking about, very simply, our human lives. Unless the Lord builds the house. I have a friend, Janine's friend as well, a guy who I'll just say grew up in the Middle East. In fact, uh, he also has an alliance license. Whatever that, that's a group that we're belonging with. But he started out life as a terrorist. We've seen the pictures. The camouflage, camo suits. I'm not even going to tell you a whole lot of what he did. But I'll just say this. He started some organizations that you hear about on a weekly basis. But his world changed as politics in his country changed. Most of his friends wound up in prison and were executed. For some reason, he got let out. He wound up in another country. And one night, he had a dream. And in that dream, he dreamt that his father's house was rupturing in the foundation. As he went in that dream, he saw that that house was not really built on rock, but it was built on sand. And the next day, he happened to be going to a church to deal a business deal with a Christian. And as he sat there, like you're sitting at home or people are sitting here, he sat there at home, and at home, the pastor got up and he spoke. And the message that day was building your house on rock or building your house on sand. 
He gave his life to Christ that day. But he's kind of afraid because he was going to have to go back and face his wife, who was pretty good with an automatic weapon. We've seen the pictures. And actually, it could have meant his death. But as he talked to his wife, it turns out she also had a dream. You see, many people in the Middle East are coming to faith, coming to Jesus through dreams. A great proportion. And his wife had had a dream that she was going on a trip and that there were deep ravines and there were mountains and she couldn't cross them. That, but for some reason, the ravines were becoming level. They were moving up and the things that were high were coming down. And as things were moving up and things were coming down, it became a level path. My friend said to her, well, this is what that means. And this is a prophecy. And he risked his life by saying it's a prophecy about Christ. And she gave her life to Christ. They got out of the country. Now he's hidden somewhere in America. You see, God is a very beautiful help in times of trouble. And he does build our house. And he does guard what he builds. And as our pastor said, we don't have anything to fear because he guards our lives. He guards us. There's a word as we now start to focus a little bit more on what I think God really spoke into my heart that I've never shared it at this level about the relationship and that partnership between God and us and how different it is than what we hear in that phrase, God helps them who help themselves, which really in the original is, the gods help them who help themselves. There's a little Greek word. It's the word dia. It's simple. It's a preposition. It means through. We always say that. We walk through a hall. We walk took the door of our car and went through and sat down. But in the original language, the word dia is very particular. And it means this. Literally, when you hear it in ancient Greek, it doesn't stay abstract. At that time, people thought about actually going through something, going through the gates into Jerusalem going through the door into a house. And so when we read this word dia, maybe you'll see a window up there, to think every time you see it in the New Testament, think about it not just an abstract, but the fact that you're passing through something in the mind of the writer. So when John mentioned that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, it no longer is abstract. It is this simple, that as we pass our lives through the window, so to speak, of his power and his enrichment, we suddenly, on the other side of that window, are a different person. It's not just something in our brain. It is the reality that God has given us his very real power through our lives. Dia, it is the word through. So no longer do I think when I hear that word, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that it's just some abstract, philosophical, theological thought in my brain. 
But I step back and say, whatever I'm facing, I can face it as I pass through, allow my life to pass through that window through Christ who strengthens me. You see, it's very different than the phrase that we have, oh, the gods help them who help themselves. You see the character of God here? So different, so different than Hercules coming down, stopping somebody from praying, calling him literally a whiner, and then saying that he will never come to help him if he hears that from that person again. That's not the character of God whom we serve. And so I think as I move now, what then is this relationship that allows me to move through to a different place? And I thought of three words. They helped me. They helped me focus and maybe they'll be meaningful to you. And it goes like this, a little phrase, in the moment, in the motion, and in the measure. Three M's, I didn't try to set it up like that. But what do I find out about God for this week when I am nervous and my guts are going upside down because of fear or what I just saw on television, I think of these three things that are described in the verses I gave you. Number one, in the moment. Well, God says, I'm a refuge. I'm an ever-present help in times of trouble. He's not somewhere else. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their presence. Back right now at your dining room table or sitting in your living room, washing the dishes, heading off wherever you're heading off. He's with you because he says he will be with you and it has nothing to do of what you do yourself in order to get there. He initiates it. In the moment tells me that when I call upon his name, if I need wisdom, he says, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be in the moment. You know, many times we say it's been years or months or a long time since I sensed the presence of God or heard him speak out of his word or in my soul. But it isn't that hard to get to because he's in the moment. He can change our lives in the flash of the twinkling of an eye or the snapping of a finger. A word can change the trajectory of our spiritual life. He's in the moment. Number two, he's in the motion. What do you mean, David? Do you ever notice in the New Testament that when Jesus did something for someone, there was always something they were going to be doing. Very different than Hercules, please note this, or in that statement, God helps them who helps themselves. What that is suggesting in the character of God, God wants to see you put your shoulder to the wheel first, and then he'll step back and decide if he wants to be involved. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is, I'm with you anyway. And then number two, he says, 
But here's something about the motion. When Jesus healed people, when he talked to Peter, when he was involved with people around him, he took the initiative first. He did something in their life first, and then he said, oh, go sow yourself to the priests, or put your boat out to deep water, or cast your net to the right side. There was always something that a person was to do. I was just reading the other night when he healed the mother-in-law of Peter. He touched her, and then he took her by the hand, and he picked her up. There was always motion. So if we need a job, we don't sit at home. What we do is, however, not look at what we read from that God helps them who helps themselves. We realize that Christ is in the moment. We realize that he is going to be in the motion. I pass my life, I pass my heart through his empowerment, and then I put my shoes on and I go do what he wants me to be doing. And it's then that I experience his power, and it's then that I experience what he wants to be giving me. So if Kevin was there in the midst of the closet and he heard his name and he just stood there, it'd be a different story. But the motion was, Kevin, follow the voice. And so in our lives, there's always the moment. And then there's the motion. And when you hear about God, there's always the third word, the measure. Because God only gives us what we need for the moment. When I was in the fire, God just told me to go to the window and to look down. He didn't tell me what time the fire department was coming. He didn't tell me what my grades were going to be in my following semester. All I needed to do was what he asked me to do. When Kevin was in the fire and he told me this story, all he needed to do was just follow that voice and he was out. That young man on the gurney in a hospital theater of surgery, all he had to do is open his eyes. And so what we find, if we need a job or we need finances, we don't just sit at home. We don't just wonder what's going on. We can walk out. We can find the position that God has for us because he says that he will care as a shepherd for all of our needs. But he doesn't give us the lottery tickets, numbers. He doesn't tell us what's going to happen with the stock market and all of that. You see, when God moves in our life with these things, it revolves around the word help. It's in the moment. It involves the motion. And it's always measured. I don't want to miss these things. And so today, we don't know what we're going to face this week, but we don't have to fear. We don't know what's going to happen in our communities, but we know that the Lord who builds our communities is also the Lord who guards our communities. You don't have to worry about our lives. It's not easy times. But no matter what pressure inside us we've felt, we've got the words of Jesus who looked to his disciples as he looks to you at home and he says simply this, I know you. I knit you in your mother's womb. 
If I can save a person's life in a fire, if I can hold the hand of a 13-year-old scared boy, if I can be there in so many other ways, I can protect your life as well. In the world, he said, you'll have tribulation. But take heart, because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. So as we wrap this, again, one of those statements that float out there, that seem smart, because obviously Ben Franklin said them, but he didn't. These phrases that we sometimes base our life on fall so short of what God says about himself. We serve a compassionate Jesus. A blessing to you out there, seated there with your family, gathered in the church virtually, and scattered through our mission field throughout the United States and in our counties.